Wellspring, welcome. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time, for this online experience. Father, for your ability to move through any platform. Father, your, your ability not to be contained to any platform. Father, your ability to speak into the lives of people through the preaching of your word. Um, Father, and no matter what is going on in the personal lives of everybody watching, Lord, I pray that you would burst through. I pray that you would speak. Um, Father, I pray that this would not be a preacher full of sin, but Father, that this would be about a God full of goodness. In your name, Jesus, amen. So Thanksgiving is coming up. It kind of launches the holiday season, that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas. And uh, so it got me kind of thinking, a little bit because of the subject that we're talking about beyond the season, uh, it got me thinking about like Ebenezer Scrooge. And I, and I Googled this week, like, was that dude a real person? Because I don't, I don't know. And the answer is no, not a real person, but he was modeled after a person uh, that the, the author looked at, uh, looked at a guy named John Ells and said, like, that is a modern, that, that's Scrooge. And so the, the Scrooge was, uh, was designed after him. And uh, so we don't know a ton about his life, but we do know a handful of rumors. And those rumors have become kind of his, his folklore, like his, his, like his whatever, his, his being. And uh, so whether or not these are true or not, I don't know. But this is how this person is described now throughout history, being the person that Scrooge is designed after. So John Ells is this guy who in modern-day terms, uh, inherited uh, about $100 million in, in today's terms. And he's, so with $100 million, when it was raining in London, it said that he was not willing to pay the shilling to get a coach to his home, that he would walk the rainy streets of London as not to pay the shilling for the coach. When he would get home, it is said that he would not use the resources to burn a fire, to start up a, a fire to help dry off his clothes, but he would rather uh, sit in wet clothes as not to waste resources on a fire. He wouldn't change his clothes for months. He would wear the same pair of clothes day in and day out for months at a time because he didn't want to pay for the laundry to get done. <laughs> His mom, in which he inherited the money from, is said to have died from starvation because she didn't want to spend money on personal well-being. She saw it as a waste of money and ended up dying of starvation. We talk about, we play this song kind of on the way in on the intro video, and uh, we play this song uh, that I used to sing in high school, uh, If I Had a Million Dollars. It's an old song by, uh, by a band called uh, Well-Dressed Ladies. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Awkwardly, it's, it's by a band, <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies, but I don't know where they got the name. Whatever it is. They sang a song called uh, If I Had a Million Dollars, and uh, we always dream like that. Like, if I had a million dollars, I would do this. I would do this. And many of us speak a game of generosity, but then you look at people that inherit that money, you look at people that win that type of money, and it's like all the things that we dream about as far as like being good, they don't necessarily always do. There's a stinginess behind them. There's a way in which people that are become kind of Scrooge-like when, when it comes to money. I Googled this for you. This is how you would can define stingy. Unwilling to give or spend, ungenerous. 
So stinginess is the exact opposite of generosity. They don't go hand in hand. So we may not be unwilling to pay a shilling for a coach here in 2020, but what does stinginess look like in 2020? Well, it might look like that person that just conveniently forgets to pay their portion of the Uber, conveniently forgets to pay their portion of the Airbnb. When it comes to Christmas, they love receiving the new pair of AirPods, and they love giving you a pair of socks from Kohl's. Woo-hoo! Their Venmo. Well, I set up Venmo for receiving, not giving. <laughs> Those might be some modern-day examples. <laughs> At some level, a stingy person is the person that has the means to do but chooses not to. And at its extreme, it's a person who has the means but wants to live like they do not have the means so they don't have to give away their means. Now, 2020, it's hit us all. I understand that this is a unique time to have this series but here's what I want you to do. I want you to understand that, that this is the perfect time to talk about something like this. That this is the time where we're, when we're talking about generosity, that we're talking about sacrifice. I, I, you may not be able to place to, to sacrifice like somebody to somebody else. You might be looking at this and saying, well, I have needs to be met. Well, hang in there. I want you to hear this, and I want you to reach out to us. But I also want you to think about the attitude behind that which we are talking about. That stinginess can happen to the rich and to the less rich. That, that this is something that we can remember the widow's might as, as a passage in Scripture, a person, that, a widow that heard the teachings of Jesus, heard and was around Jesus and gave everything she had. And when it comes to generosity, it is, it's an element of sacrifice. What is sacrificial for you may not be sacrificial for me, but God sees the heart and sees the sacrifice, and the sacrifice communicates worship. So I want you to see the attitude behind this. What is biblical generosity? What does it look like in God's kingdom here on earth? If God, our, our, our king, is, can never be uh, accused of being stingy because he is not stingy, how does that impact how his kingdom is modeled after him? How are we supposed to live in, in today's world? What I want us to see today is how the early church acted in the book of Acts. I want us to see how generosity played out. I want us to see empowered living. Let me, let me set the scene this way. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. And, and the scene that we're going into feels a whole lot like what we're living in in 2020. Their life turned upside down. They, they were following, many of them, following after Jesus. Jesus, their boy, this was great. This is going in a direction. Fame, renown, this is all. And all of a sudden, he dies. And he stays dead for three days. It's a whirlwind. They go from a growing movement to having to now spark the movement. Now, they, they, now, they, now they're in a place where, where as Christians, following after Jesus, a risen Savior, he didn't stay dead. Now they're outcasts in the temple, which had some perks to them. Now, now the government doesn't like them. So now they are truly the low of the low 
Life has turned upside down for them. In the, in the context of what we're looking at in Acts chapter 4, their two leaders, two of their main leaders, John and Peter, did something good. They helped a girl. And now they're going, now they're going to jail. They helped, they helped somebody else. They helped somebody. And, and now, they're, now they're going to kind of re, uh, religious jail, uh, Jewish jail. They're standing trial. And, and now they're, they're being charged. Never talk about the name of Jesus again. And they're like, no, we're going to because we stand before God, not you. And then they're let out, and they're praising God that two of their key leaders have been let out of jail. Life is hard for them, and it sounds a lot like 2020, where it feels like everything's working against us, the church, at times. Here's how we're going to pick it up in, in Acts chapter 4. It says, now, the full number of those who believe, there's unity behind this. This is, this is the majority. This is the people we're one of, we're of one heart and soul, united, bound in their deepest core being. And no, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. They were unified. They were unified around what? Unified around their political affiliation? Nope. Unified around how they're standing in the temple? Nope. Unified around a passion for the mission of their Savior. And where did this go? How did this translate? The, the, their passion for the mission that Christ left them led to internal impact. Led to, this is the mission of the church and it impacts me. They were selfless. They allowed their personal lives to be impacted by the mission that Christ left them. They, they, they saw that, you know what? Mine becomes ours when Jesus is involved. They were intent on meeting the needs of others. That is a characteristic of humility, not stinginess. And so here's our big thought for this online experience. Here's what I want you to take away from how this early church lived and conducted themselves. Our wellspring fuels a well of generosity. What, I, what do I mean by that? I'm not just trying to place our name this. You're all about wellspring. No. Why did we name wellspring the way we named wellspring? Because wellspring means an original and bountiful source of life. The early church saw, as we see, Jesus as the wellspring of life, an original and bountiful source of life. He empowered it. He left the Holy Spirit. He, this was everything. And because they saw Jesus as the wellspring of life, they saw him as life. This isn't life. He is life because they saw not this world as life, but he as life because he was the wellspring of life for them. It fueled a well of generosity. None of this is mine. It is a gift from God to be a gift to others. Our wellspring fuels a well of generosity. And so we're going to look at the remaining verses here to verse 37, where Luke is going to describe four characteristics of a generously united church. Here's the first one. A church that is extremely missional. 
Our wellspring fuels a well of generosity. First, we see it's extremely missional. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. What are they preaching? They're preaching, we saw something. We saw a guy die, and then we were having a meal with him. We saw a dead man walk. We saw, we experienced resurrection. This is a form of testimony. We saw it, we're speaking it. They knew, they knew. They knew full well that this was an offensive message. They knew full well this would have an impact on the temple. They knew full well that this message would have an impact on on how the government looked at them. But yet they saw it and they had to speak it. Just because it was offensive doesn't mean that they couldn't speak it. They had to speak it. This was part of the mission. It never stopped them from proclaiming it. Yet verse 32 and verse 34 are all about giving them goods, all all about uh, extreme generosity. But yet sandwiched in the middle of those two verses is is a verse about evangelism, sharing the gospel, speaking a testimony. Why? Because community life is never an end of itself. That we are to be a growing community, not a closed community. Our testimony is not for us alone. Our testimony is to be shared and spread out there. We're to be a witnessing community. With every every single act of goodness that we do, act of kindness that we do, we give out this card, God loves you and so do we. On the back of it is a website that we pray that people go to when they're wondering, why did a church, why did this person do this? It points them to www.theY.one. No, we're not all about just Wellspring. No, this points them not to our website, but a, but a direct link on our website where we hope that they're asking why behind the good deed and that they're going to experience then our testimony in this unintrusive manner. I want you to see the first two minutes, though, of of the video that we share on that on that site. I hope that you are watching uh, w- this video because somebody gave you uh, what we know uh, known as a uh, God loves you card. Uh, something that says that God loves you and so do we. I hope you got this card because someone showed you an act of kindness and this explains the why. I hope it sparked your interest enough to get to this very point. Uh, we believe here at Wellspring Church uh, in an all-inclusive gospel message. So I hope that you were not given this card with a, a handful of questions. Because we give these cards out and we don't ask, well, who did you go to bed with that last night? We don't ask, uh, were you watching an R-rated movie? We don't ask, uh, what's your political affiliation? Because one is sinful, one isn't. We don't ask those types of questions because you're watching this video and you have some questions. You're asking like, why? And you're asking, what is this all about? Why would they do this? And, and, and the reason we don't ask certain questions is because we believe, and I think this answers your question, we believe that all people have an issue with sin. Now, I'm not going to try to hide. I'm not going to try to bounce around that word. We're just going to call it what it is. I ain't perfect. You ain't perfect. We've all done some stuff. And, uh, and I believe that God shows us kindness. And that is why we want to show you kindness. 
But but again, that, that kind of furthers the question, why? Like, why show kindness? Okay, I have an issue with sin, but, but why even need kindness in re as a result of that? There are plenty of people that sin that I don't show kindness to. Uh, so here's a verse that I want to share with you guys. It's, it's this verse from 2 Corinthians 5, uh, verse 21. It says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now I know that doesn't make tons and tons of sense. Uh, but so that's just a snapshot. It goes on. Snapshot of, of, of how we try to use kindness as a plant, platform to share ultimately a testimony. Extremely missional. We want to be generous in the name of Jesus. So can my church do a meal train for you? Why? Because he so, he first loved us. Can we get a cup of coffee for you uh, at the well? Why? Because he first loved us. Good, good kindness isn't our testimony. No, generosity builds the stage for our testimony to share of Christ's resurrection, of Christ's goodness. That's the platform. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. So yes, when people are looking for us to do a good deed, but they will not let us share the name of Jesus, we let somebody else do that good deed. Because we want to do this in the name of Jesus. People must know the why. Otherwise, there is no difference with us. So those outside the church, I want you to know the kindness of the Lord, not ultimately in the form of a sandwich. I want you to know the kindness of the Lord that leads to repentance. Let a, a given sandwich, let a diaper, let something that we do for kindness for you be a part of the journey where you learn of the resurrection and the goodness of God. And those inside the church, you go from, from being the mission to being a partaker, to being, to being a co-laborer, to being somebody that is a part of this movement. Here's what I want you to know. You're still seen. I want you to know that you still matter. I want you to still experience the goodness of God. Why? Because it becomes part of your testimony where you're sharing about the goodness of God with your friends. Generosity leads to testimony. And that is our mission. And that's what makes us different, different than the world around us. So first, it's extremely missionable. Then secondly, it's, it's extremely actionable. This is where it goes. Uh, there was not a needy person among them. For as many were, were owners of lands and of houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. These Christians didn't have the support system, like I was saying earlier, if you were a widow. You couldn't go as a Christian to the temple to have the Jews help you now. Now you were seen as an enemy to the Jews. And the government, they surely weren't going to help you. Many of the Christians lost their jobs because they turned to Christianity. So the Christian church found themselves in extreme poverty, and their politics weren't going to help them. Their politicians weren't going to help them. Their temple wasn't going to help them. The church had to do it. So we who are rich, and again, because of last week, what we saw, somebody somewhere looks at us as rich. We who are rich, how much are we willing to give of ourselves to help the needy not be needy? And if I'm honest, moment of honesty, this is probably where I struggle. I, can, I have a way of excusing 
doing something good for somebody, excusing extreme generosity, because in my head I start to argue about how they became needy. Shame on, shame on me. No, true love, the depth of love, where we see love in the early church in the book of Acts is, is they didn't argue about that. They saw a need, and they went to great love, great care, great concern, great sharing as a powerful testimony to the community as they met the real needs within, within, their, own, within their own body. I'm reading this book right now that's rocking my world. This guy named Scott Sauls. You should try to find him on Twitter and Instagram and all those, all those platforms. He has a book called Befriend, uh, which was powerful. And now I'm reading a book called Jesus Outside the Lines. It is, it is rocking me. Uh, it is, it would, it's, it's, a, it's a type of book that would ruffle the feathers of both the Republicans and the Democrats. You kind of like, like, you're like, hey, both have some stuff. And uh, so it's just a really, really great book. And one of the things uh, that he talks about is, is kind of this stance. Like he, so he brings, up, he brings up abortion. And he brings up abortion in the sense that, that, you know what? If we're going to talk about abortion, here's two things that we need to care about. We need to care about those within the womb. And we have to care about those with a womb. You have, we have to do a better job of caring about those in the womb and those with the womb. And, and here's where he goes on to say, he says that 60% of abortions are by those under the poverty line. His point in bringing that up is that oftentimes poor conditions breed poor choices. And so where does he direct the readers? Where does he go in this book? He directs the leaders to, to the readers that God so loved the world that he gave. Those that were in spiritual poverty, God so loved them that he gave. Brought them to a place without spiritual need because he became everything to them in Christ Jesus. He became nothing even to the form of the stench of sin so that we could gain everything. How low are you willing to go so others can have? The basic principle here is that people can't get what we don't give. I, you won't get a God loves you card from me if I don't give you a God loves you card. You don't receive generosity unless there is somebody to be generous. You don't receive grace unless there is somebody to give grace. So when there is a need, somebody has to come alongside to meet that need. Otherwise, that need is not met. So what if it wasn't our politics that solved the issue of abortion? What if we saw it as there is a great need, and it is our love, it is our generosity that became the solve? Is this passage about abortion? Surely not. But it is an example of extreme need being met by extreme generosity, making an extreme difference. And I believe the church is called to make an extreme difference in the world around us. And it goes into our third point, extremely missional, extremely actionable. Our third point is extremely benevolent, an old-fashioned word, and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Distributed to who? The apostles? The fishermen? The tax collectors? The, not the CPA. 
not the financial guru, to these everyday, average, everyday, ordinary people. They, they gave money to them. They sold lands, possessions. They sold all sorts of things and gave it to the apostles to distribute as, as need. That's trust. That's unity. There was extreme poverty, so there had to be extreme giving. They gave literal lands, literal prop property to meet extreme needs. Why? Because as they, as they said yes to a relationship with God, as God, as Jesus Christ, they saw him. Uh, he is the wellspring of life. He's the original, bountiful source of life. They, 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 well, then this all belongs to God, and I'm going to start living like it. <laughs> And they were able to do these types of things. They were able to share their abundance so that those in the community could have the necessities of life. Well, Jason, are you part of the squad? Is this Christian communism? No, <laughs> because it's not legislating. <laughs> this is voluntary. They're, they're, they're being looked at as, like, you don't see, like, hey, they had to do this. No, the implication here is that they didn't have to do this, but they got to do this. There was a need, and they were able to meet the need. And you know what? And this also wasn't a one-hit wonder. This, this, was, this was something that they voluntarily did time and time again. All the verbs, the five verbs in this passage that we're looking at are all in the uh, imperfect tense, which you can go uh, grammar, Greek, uh, nerdy on. But what that simply means is that this wasn't a one-time action, that this was a continual action. This described the church, meaning this type of generosity was beyond a season of the church, that this was who they were. They voluntarily met the needs of other people, and it made a real difference, much like it's made a difference in Gil and Gianna's life. Hello, Wellspring. Hi, guys. We just wanted to say thank you so much for the outpouring of love that we got for, from you. Um, everything. It was just so great to know that we have an amazing family that are ready and willing to help. Um, our little man is okay. He is now home. He's breathing a lot better, and he's a fighter. So he's gonna he's gonna keep going. But like like we said, we just wanted to thank you guys so much for everything that you guys have done, the support, the love from everyone from the top down. Um, do you want to say something? Yeah. I mean, as a church, we we talk about how much we love our community, but seriously. The way that you guys loved on our family, we're we're just so blessed between the FaceTime videos that I had texts every single day from so many of you just checking on our boy and check not, not only him, but checking on me, checking on Gil, people asking if they could babysit Carson for us. You just took a time that was really trying for us and you know, we're so exhausted and just having a new baby and then him getting sick and you just took a such a trying time and made it a lot easier um, between Venmos and prayers and text messages and phone calls and I was able to cry on the phone with some of you and it was just you made it a lot easier and you really showed the love of Jesus to our family and we're forever grateful so we thank you guys and we love you love you guys 
So, yes, there are, we, we have a hard time sometimes celebrating what God does through us in the lives of people because those are things that are hard to communicate. So, yes, we often communicate what is easier to communicate, the stuff going on in the community. But it would be a false, cruel, mean assumption to think that nothing else is happening inside the church. We care about Gil. We care about Gianna. We want to see the church come alongside a family as, as life is happening to them. No, we are not cold-hearted, but we are careful with how we communicate. Did you know that this year, key leaders in our church reached out to uh, our whole church body, those connected to our church, three different times to reach out and say, how are you doing through COVID? Real calls, real text messages, real emails. And if you didn't see that, please email me because we probably need your updated contact information. Did you know that the church this year will have spent thousands of dollars on the well gift cards for people to get a meal? Because we want the well to be a blessing to people on something that I never saw coming, DoorDash. <laughs> we have spent hundreds and thousands of dollars, not hundreds of thousands of dollars, we have spent uh, probably around $1,000 plus on DoorDash gift cards to be a blessing to people. We have bought ShopRite gift cards to be a blessing to people. We have paid bills for people inside of the church. Why? Because the church is called to be a community where we meet each other's needs. This is why the, we have partnership, which is our version of membership. Our partners agree to give 10% of their income and to help fuel the budget of the church. And they look at the budget, they agree to the budget, and they agree that the budget of which they're giving 10% to as a starting point is going to meet the needs outside the church and inside the church. We can argue all of we want about 10%. Does the Bible... Well, the Old Testament does talk about 10%. And then we look at the New Testament... We see a much greater sacrifice. Why? Because there are great needs that need to be met. So you're looking at this, you're like, okay, let's not get lost in that. If you have a great need, are you in a life group where that need can be known? Are you on a ministry team where that need can be known? Have you reached out to an elder where that need can be? I encourage you to do that. Can we meet every single need that comes our way? Nope. But we certainly can't meet the needs that we're unaware of. So please reach out. The last thing that we want to look at, the last example, the last characteristic of a, of a church that sees that, that, uh, the well, a wellspring leading to a well of generosity, missional, actionable, benevolent, but then lastly, it's extremely exemplary. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What a great name. A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's a good example. Here's an example of everything they're talking about. Here's a guy that poured out love. Here's a guy that, that wasn't trying to bring attention to himself, but in their community, Giving was much more known than our community, and what he did was known. Later on in Acts chapter 11, it is said that he was a man full of faith, a man full of the Holy Spirit. What a great description. If you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that he played a pivotal role in the early church. As a Levite, he would have served in the temple. He would have been considered a, a, a clergy in modern-day terms. 
The apostles give him the nickname Barnabas because, man, what a jolly guy. <laughs> what an encouraging guy. What a guy that, you know, when there's a fight breaking out, we need a Barnabas to come in and, and be that guy that's going to help us navigate and encourage us along the way. Every church needs a Barnabas. So where, where we encourage our partners to start with 10%, where, this is what we encourage our leaders you, you want to, we want to see you in a, in a literal sense be sold out for the mission that you lead. Barnabas is an example of that. The calling of a leader is far greater than the calling of a partner. Why? Because we're leading by example. And here is an example of that. So a Barnabas to my son. A Barnabas to my son is, is Todd. This is a picture of Brady that I got on, I think, Tuesday. Uh, maybe it was Monday. Actually, it was Monday. Um, I got a picture of him, and he's wearing Todd's hat. Actually, that's Todd's house in the background. Uh, Todd's uh, hard hat and that uh, leaf blower. And that hit me so hard because Todd came to our church. He loved the, the, the award-winning cookies that I would send him. And uh, a little inside joke there. And, uh, and so he started coming to our church, and instantly he started kind of refinding his faith, refinding his spirituality, and just saw that kind of flowing out of his life now. And uh, the reason that this picture hits me is because on Sunday, I'm raking my leaves, and uh, my sons are out there with me. And Todd didn't ask. He just came over and started helping. And I see him do it for other neighbors. I see him do it for other people in other towns. And he's just a dude that I love Todd. He just, everybody loves Todd. He just comes and he just helps. And my son, this picture shows me my son wants to be like Todd. And I'm good with it. Because Todd's a great example to my son. And if my son is a little bit more like Todd, the world's a better place. He's a Barnabas in my son's life. Barnabas in my life is not only Todd, but a, a woman on our leadership team, which I can, I will not name because A, I didn't get permission, and B, I think she'd kill me. Um, but then, but in, in all honesty, she's a, she's a woman that is a great example to me because she's not a person of great means. You, you would not look at her job. You would not look at what she does, and you'd say, hey, great means, great, great, great earthly wealth. But here is a woman that, that gives far and above 10%. Here's a woman that, that is the widow's might. Here's a woman that when there's a project, when she sees the church leaning into something that's going to make a real difference, she's, she's talking to her CPA. She's talking to people saying, how can I, how can I get involved with this? How can I be, how can I almost create some means to make a difference? These are the Barnabases among us. And so I'm going to ask you two questions of personal reflection upon extremely exemplary. Who's an encouragement to you? Might this be a, encouragement to you to let them know that they're an encouragement to you. Reach out to them and let them know that they're making a difference in, their, in your life by being that example. But then secondly, what example are we setting? This is a, this is a question I emailed to our elders this week among some other things. And, and, and if people gave, this is the question I asked them, if people gave it our percentage, would giving go up or giving go down? And, and if, if, we, if people followed our example, of giving, what would the impact be on the mission of the church? I see how a wellspring, people motivated by Christ as our wellspring, go to a, a well of generosity. This is what we have said in, in the passage. 
our wellspring, Jesus Christ, fuels a well of generosity. It's extremely missional, extremely actionable, extremely benevolent, extremely exemplary. At the end of the day, money in our hands is used to make a difference. God desires it to make a difference. So my question is, how will you invest it? What will you do with it? Will the investment that you make with the money that God has blessed you with, no matter your bank account, will it stand the test of time? Let me, let me point it like this. Uh, you know what? Come for a walk with me. Let me just show you something real fast. Production magic. So walk with me. This, you think this is a church. It's not a church. This used to be, well, it is a church now, but what it used to be, did you know what this used to be? This has been redone so much. This used to be a bank. Here, let me, let me show you. So people used to walk in here. There was a bank on the upper floor. Uh, they, they would maybe come in here. They would maybe come through the, the stairs. If you've ever seen our church, you, you've seen a, a vault. Uh, and our vault is actually uh, an old literal vault. It's our storage unit now. Uh, but there's, there's, in our church, we're walking through our church. You all miss it. We miss it. Well, we're here, but you should be here. Uh, so here is, our, here is our vault, which is our storage unit. This is a, literally a bank vault. This door is worth four to $600 and it weighs tons and tons of weight. It will break your fingers. That's why there, there is a stop here. There is OPCs above us. There's other organizations above us reaching out and helping families. And then we are a church in the basement of an office building that used to be a bank. People used to come here and make an investment into an institution that is now dead. Now, yes, certainly their money probably went someplace. Certainly whatever was held in here probably went someplace. But they made an investment. And the institution in which they made an investment is now dead. When you think about the end of your life and the investments that you have made, what is sitting in your vault, your storage closet? Is it something that is ultimately dead? Or is it something that's going to have an internal impact, a much greater investment? So now walk back with me. Here's how I see our church making an internal investment right now. This is a wall of diapers. This is, this is another wall of diapers. These are inter this is, this is an internal, because why? Because eventually, this is actually going to go to a human being. This is going to be given to somebody. At some point, there's going to be a group of volunteers uh, uh, standing un under a, an overhang. Hey, what size do you need? Oh, you need a size six? Boom, here, great, here. Here's a God loves you card. Also an invitation to watch our Christmas production that we're going to share Jesus at. But here is, is diapers and then a card in, in that invitation to our Christmas reduction. Why? Because this is more than diapers. This is meeting a real need. This is, this is an investment that, in the hands of God, doesn't become a storage unit. This is, this is an investment where, where these are going to be given to real people, but then there's, there's also the investment of, of people that are impacted by the ministry that are saying yes to relationship with Jesus and, and, and getting baptized. People that are, have helped us start this church, and I know these individuals very well, and how they've grown deeper in their walk with Jesus as they grow in their knowledge of Jesus, leading to their actions for Jesus. I see lives being changed through friendships 
and people with backgrounds and how the church has come alongside them and, and, and how they've experienced the grace of God and the goodness of God. Other baptism kids, what are you investing in? Life or death? Do you invest in what will ultimately die? Or are you investing in what is ultimately eternal? And so my, my challenge to you this week is to hit that Amazon link and buy a box of diapers. To drive the mission forward. Yeah, I want to drive our mission through some diapers this year. <laughs> will you help us? Is it going to build the kingdom of Wellspring? No, because we're not turning these in for finances. <laughs> no, it's going to build God's kingdom when we hand them out with a God loves you card. God loves you and so do we. So my challenge this week is, is that, would you help us buy some diapers and invest into something that ultimately is internal because the message is eternal. See you guys next week. Thank you for checking out a sermon recorded right here at Wellspring Church in Toms River. If it's your first time connecting with us, we'd love to stay connected with you. So don't forget to like and subscribe to this video. And then down in the description box below, there's ways to give online. There's our social media accounts. We'd love to stay connected with you throughout the week. We love and appreciate you, and we hope you have a fantastic week.